0: This podcast is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop who has offered to do a whole episode dedicated to questions that listeners submitted. And Bishop, I know you do Q&As throughout the year at different events. Uh, I was part of the Rekindle the Fire one for the past several years. Mm-hmm. How many times do you do that, do you think? Oh, I don't know.
0: I think, and I do a lot when I do school visits. Yeah. As say, I would say a couple dozen times. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. we appreciate you answering the questions that, that we have. Our first listener submitted question is, is a rather long one, but I think it's interesting. It said, I have a dilemma and I'm not sure how to solve it. And I don't think I'm alone. I am a DRE, that's Director of Religious Education at my parish. And we used to have traditional religious ed classes where pa- parents dropped students off every Sunday from August through April and catechists were primarily responsible for teaching the faith. It was getting very hard to find catechists who were willing to commit to roughly 27 Sundays a year. We transitioned during COVID to a blended program where parents were more responsible to cover material at home and kids attended religious ed once a month. Parents complained they wanted to return to the more traditional program, and their biggest complaint was that they are not religion teachers nor possess the knowledge to teach the faith. Catechists... Liked not having to commit to so many Sundays, but felt like they didn't connect with the students because they only saw them once a month. So we compromised and tried to meet them each halfway by increasing the attendance to two Sundays each month. The first Sunday, kids and parents attend, and the parents attend a session with our priest while the kids are in class. In the session with our priest, he covers the material they are supposed to go over at home and always asks if they have any questions. The second Sunday, just the kids attend. They have some assignments that they are supposed to complete at home as a family and return. I think the beauty of this program is that the kids should be getting the material twice, once at home and again at class. The catechists are pretty happy now, but the parents are still complaining that it is the catechists' job to teach, not theirs. Do you have any suggestions on how to handle this situation? I know I can't make everyone happy, but I'm getting a little tired of all the complaining. (laughs) And I can say personally, as when I was a youth minister, that was always a frustrating thing. It was parents complaining about any kind of changes or or things. like that. So I I get that.
0: There's a lot of things in that question. First of all, I I think I have to say right up front, it is the parents job Mm -hmm. to teach their children, the faith it's, it's one of their most important responsibilities. So, I think that uh, that I have to say right up front, I mean, it is primarily the parent's obligation to pass on the faith to their children. I mean, that's what they, they promise to do that when right. they bring their children for baptism. And if they don't feel that they're well-equipped to do so, then they should get equipped. For example, they should, you know, go to adult religious education mm-hmm. If they feel really ill-equipped of not knowing enough about the faith, then maybe they need it would be good to go through RCIA. Right. You know, there's but have the catechism, you know, study the catechism. There's all kinds of ways. So I think I would say upfront that parents who say that they that they don't possess the knowledge to teach the faith, that they're not religion teachers, have an obligation to study Mm -hmm. so that they can teach the faith and i mean given i mean depending on the age of the child i mean how many parents aren't able to teach the fundamentals of the faith to their grade school children i mean i think every catholic parent should at least be able to teach the children when they're young now Mm -hmm. i can see when the kids get older maybe and junior high, high school, if, if their parents aren't well-educated, they may need extra help. I love the idea of the priest that one Sunday of the month yeah. where he meets with the parents and he covers material that they're supposed to cover at home. And then he's open to any questions they have. I think that's a great idea. Right. I really highly recommend that. I really do. I'm not so sure I'm I mean, I I understand they can't get enough catechists. I think the better thing than just having it twice a month is is to, but if they can't find the catechisms, I would rather them do it every Sunday personally Mm -hmm. and do that one session with the parents because it's really not a lot. I mean, when you think about it, it's only 27 hours a year if they have catechesis 27 Sundays. Right. I, I don't think that's a lot. But again, I guess they're facing the thing that, to get committed catechists, but if they can't in their parish, maybe they can get some from other parishes that they could ask, you know, we should have enough lay people in our diocese to be able to teach catechesis. But in any event, their situation, I don't know which parish it is, whatever their unique situation is. But but in any case, I do agree with the DRE regarding the importance of of parents. And I can't emphasize that enough. All the data that we have of research is that the number one predictor of whether children, when they grow up, will continue to practice the faith is if their parents, especially their father, is practicing Mm -hmm. the faith. Interesting. yeah. And practicing the faith means going to Mass, praying at home, striving to live the faith. And I think it includes this aspect of of educating in the faith, you know, talking about our faith, talking about God, sharing one's faith with the children. Mm-hmm. If it's just something that's one hour a week and it's really not a daily thing in the home, there's little, there's very small likelihood that those kids are going to grow up practicing the faith. So what I've been, you know, I've visited a lot of homes of young families and I've been so edified by seeing the faith being taught in the home in a lot of the homes that I visit. Yeah. Now, of course I'm probably invited more often by very active Catholics, sure. but does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I could understand too, like the, the one aspect is I don't know the faith well enough to, to share it with my, my kids. The other aspect would be, I do know the faith, but I'm not good at teaching maybe. Mm. You know, which that's what the catechist would augment that and, yeah. and help with that, but not replace it. Yeah. But there's so many resources with, you know, you could sit down any question that you have. You could find a trusted, the key there, you know, Catholic Answers or Father Mike Schmitz or Formed, you know, to find like, let's sit down and watch this video answering that question that you have. And then we can talk about it. You yeah. know, if I'm not, don't feel qualified to, to really speak with authority answering that question there's a lot of resources and to do that together as yeah. a parent and child, yeah. and watch a video and discuss that. That seems so much more powerful than let me just send you off to somebody else to, to talk yeah. to that. And then I don't know what you talked about. And
0: Right. You know, right. So. How about, I guess this is more when the kids are younger, but even reading Bible stories to them yeah. and then talking about them.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would say over half of our children's books are religious children's books. And so they're just kind of hearing those stories and whether it be, you know, like, uh, the one we were just reading yesterday—it's where is God, and this kid is like looking for God in the sofa and <laughs> under the the shelves—and it's in my heart. So it's like a very basic, yeah, you know, not, yeah. not not very deep or anything. But now my four-year-old is like, God is in my heart, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. It, it's yeah. It can start very young and be very basic and exactly.
0: And another thing is you going out with your kids. Let's say I don't know where you're going out to a store or whatever you know, just stop with them in the church for five minutes to make a visit to the blessed sacrament. For sure, I mean, what a wonderful witness that is to the children. Yeah. I remember doing that, you know, my mother with, when we were my, me and my brother and sister were small. I mean, we would do that all the time. And I mean, that impacted me, you know, it taught me prayer and taught me that Jesus is there in the tabernacle in the church. So that's why we stop and we make a visit. So there's so many things you can do. And even liturgical seasons, observing them at the home with an advent wreath or advent calendar and saying special prayers together. I mean, there's just so many great resources for parents.
1: All right. Well, speaking of families, I feel like a version of this question comes in about once a year. So it's obviously something many of us are wondering A listener writes, My husband's sister is living a gay lifestyle and is planning a big wedding this coming November. We have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I know the promises I have made at both my own wedding and at my children's baptisms. And attending would feel compromising to my faith and my relationship with God. I'm really seeking any kind of perspective on what you do. Can I, as a faithful Catholic, attend and take my children? Would there be any circumstance that would make it permissible?
0: You know, I do hear that question also, you know, and people really struggle in their conscience with that, especially when it's a family member who is entering into a same sex marriage and one receives an invitation. I think it's really important to consider what marriage is and what one's attendance at such an event would mean. Because marriage is the union of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. So, attending a same sex wedding might be considered support Mm -hmm. for that, for something that is really incompatible with the truth about marriage. So, when, and especially when it's involving close family, friends, you know, it can be such a difficult decision because. And I know a lot of times in those situations, and it's a good idea to get advice from one's priest or spiritual director. And I think there's other ways that one can show love to the person entering a same-sex marriage without attending the, the ceremony, mm-hmm. even to, you know, have a, a conversation where one just shares with the person, I love you very much. And, you know, I, I, I will always support you as a person. I, I want to continue our relationship, friendship, or whatever mm-hmm. kind of relationship it is. But, you know, please understand that this just goes against my conscience because I don't believe this is a true marriage. And, you know, you could still get rejected mm-hmm. for saying that but I think it's really important to let the person know that you're not rejecting them, but that this is something that that is very, very much, a you know, it's, it's against the faith and it's not something that, and especially the scandal that could be created if one has children. I think mm-hmm. the questioner talked about young children. Well, you stuff, especially want to protect your children from thinking that such a thing is okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Well, if you have questions, there's a form over at Spokestreet.com slash AskBishop. You can submit them there. Coming up, we have more questions. Uh, What about popes taking new names? A question about religious brothers and a new translation. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
0: What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop who is answering questions that listeners have submitted. Someone wrote in, what is the history of popes taking new names? We know Simon became Peter, the first pope, and there are many Pope Johns, Pauls, Gregory's. But what about Linus, Cletus, and Clement? Did they change their names? And what would Bishop change his name to if that was something they did at a bishop ordination?
0: Well, that last question, I'd probably say John because okay. of my yeah. As we talked about in another episode about how I have great devotion to Saint John the Apostle, but uh-huh. but bishops don't change their names. Uh-huh. Just to say the those early popes that the listener mentioned, they did not change their names. Okay, as a matter of fact, popes only began to adopt a new name probably in the around the sixth century, and even then, it wasn't necessary. Huh. by the 10th century it was very customary yeah but i think that it was only in the 6th century that we see this starting but then it became very customary in the 10th century and and ever since the year 1555 every pope from 1555 on has taken a papal name okay it's interesting they listed some of the, the names. And I thought this is kind of good Catholic trivia. Uh-huh. It's kind of funny because I was reading about this to see, like, what, what would be the papal name that you think has been used the most? Uh, I would
1: guess John.
0: Correct. The 23rd. Now, it's interesting because we have John the 23rd. Uh-huh. But to be honest, there have only been 21 Oh, yeah. Popes with the name John. Do you know why?
1: Were, were they like not real popes that Correct. took the name? They were
0: anti-popes. Anti-popes. Wow. So John the 16th was an anti-pope. Huh. So, and no pope or anti-pope ever used the name John the 20th. So I don't know why they skipped John <laughs> the 20th, but they did. So anyhow, but so there have been 21 Johns. And number two, there have been 16 Gregories. okay. Sixteen Gregories. After that, we have fifteen Benedicts. Now again, you say, Well, we have Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, 16, how are yeah. only fifteen? Again, there were two who were antipopes, okay. Benedict the Tenth and Thirteenth. So they weren't real popes. Huh. Clement would be next with fourteen, and then Innocent with thirteen, tied with Leo, who had thirteen. Okay. Then Pius, there were 12. There have been nine Stevens and eight Bonifaces, eight Urbans, seven Alexanders, six Adrians, only six Pauls, though. Okay. You know, because the question said there have been a lot of Pauls. Only six, really. Hmm. Five Celestines, five Nicolases, five Sixtus. And the first one to take a double name was John Paul I, First. Who of course was beatified a month ago. And then of course, John Paul II. Yeah. You know, so we have two popes who, who took two names.
1: Yeah. John Paul. Very interesting. All right. I guess religious brothers and sisters, some orders do that as well. Take a, a name yeah. change when they take it, vows. Yep. All right. Our next, next listener submitted question. Priests will say that they are married to the church. Religious sisters will say that their spouse is Jesus. What would a religious brother say?
0: They would also say, although I don't know that it's it's common, but, but if they would speak of it, they would also speak of it as spouses of the church. Okay. Yeah. And for obvious reasons, the male and female. But clearly the church herself is the bride of Jesus. So we the church is female, basically. Mm-hmm. That's why we say she when we refer to the church. And we should think also of the church as mother, you know, not only as bride, bride of Christ, mm-hmm. the church also as mother. So we think of the maternal love of, of a religious sister, mm-hmm. you know, that's something to think about. And we think of the maternal love of Mary. And Mary is an icon or image of the church. All this is really neat to think about. And it's just mirroring. I mean, we're talking analogically here and analogies with marriage. But we think of the maternity of Mary and the maternity of the church. And then the maternal love of a religious sister, of a nun. But as far as religious brothers, religious brothers would, like priests have that image of, of loving and serving the church okay. as a bridegroom like Christ loves and serves the people.
1: Would that kind of wording be part of the vows that they take or part of the ceremony? No, no. That
0: is probably, I think in an a, a ordination of a bishop, there would be something there when we receive the ring. Mm-hmm. Have to go back and see what's said at that point. But as far as religious vows, no, I think in the consecration of a virgin, yes. Okay. And when a religious sister is, professes final vows, they might have some of that language that comes from the consecration of a virgin. Okay. Which then speaks of Christ
1: as one spouse. All right. This last question was submitted from a donor during your share hour, Bishop. It said, do you know when the new translation for Liturgy of the Hours will come out? I don't know exactly.
0: Every year, the bishops, the USCCB, we approve, we've been approving, reviewing, and approving various parts of the new translation. Okay. So this has been going on for several years now. Like maybe in one of our meetings will be looking at the translations of the Antiphons. Another one, maybe like the Benedictus, the Magnificat, the prayers, whatever. I mean, it's a, there's a lot. I mean, the Liturgy of the Hours is huge, the four mm-hmm. volumes. So we've been doing it piece by piece. We still have a few more parts to approve. So I think we're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. But it would only be speculation on my part, I would guess, if I just as a speculation... Uh-huh. I would I would guess two or three years okay. more.
1: So is this specifically an American translation then?
0: Well, yes, because the ISIL, which is the translation into English of the Latin text, includes many Episcopal conferences, so many English-speaking countries. Mm-hmm. But each conference of bishops approves it for their country. Okay, So there could be some differences between, for example the translation that we use here and the translation, for example, that they use in England or Australia, even though, and I'm not quite sure how that works. If ISIL prepared, ISIL is the international commission for English and the liturgy. I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure if they just do. It's a really good question. I've never been directly involved in this, so I don't know if they present one text and then the bishops of the different countries do their own study of what they present. I'm not quite sure, but there may be some other countries which just use the Engl- the translation that England uses. Okay. Depends on the bishops of that country. And ultimately it has to be approved by Rome, uh-huh. whatever the translation
1: is. Because like the readings that we have at mass would be slightly different translation in the United States as in Canada. Correct.
0: Canada it. would probably be more like they might just use the translation from England. Okay. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, you're right. Some well, people will say, like, they like this translation in English better than another. Mm-hmm. You know, you see how, you know, in England, you know, some of that English is a bit more refined, perhaps, than our American translation. I've never really sat down and, like, compared them one-on-one. Uh-huh. But when I've had mass in England, and I, I definitely notice. Huh. Yeah. Or Ireland,
1: for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you have like the Savior spelled with a U and stuff like Correct. that. Correct. Yep. All right. Well, thank you again for answering questions that listeners submitted. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing?
0: Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network.
1: For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.